0: Well, Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One moment he was sitting happily in his cage, and the next moment he found himself sucked in, wet, and blown over. It all started when his owner decided she would clean his cage with a vacuum cleaner. And taking the nozzle off, she put it in the bottom of the cage, and suddenly as the phone rang, she kind of turned, and the nozzle went up, and she heard this sound as Chippy was sucked in. Well, she screamed, turned off the vacuum cleaner, opened up the bag, and there he was, alive but dirty. So she grabbed him, raced to the bathroom, held him under the faucet, and while Chippy was now clean, he was wet and shivering. And so she reached for the blow dryer, and Chippy never knew what hit him as the hot air blasted over him. Well, a few days later, a friend who had heard the story called and said, "'How's Chippy doing?' And the owner said, well, he doesn't sing much anymore. (laughs) He just sits in his cage staring out. So we turn in our Bibles today here in at Stone Oak. What we're going to find in Acts chapter 27 is there was a group of people who found themselves sucked in, wet, and blown over. And they weren't singing much anymore either. In fact, they were staring out in despair. And yet, as we're going to see in this passage today, God did not leave them there. But through his messenger by the name of Paul... God said he would deliver them. He would take them through the storm. I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 27 as we look at the story there. And what we'll see is things begin relatively calm because verses 1 through 3 tell us, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, they, pursued, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in an Adromitian ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we set out to sea, accompanied by Aristocardus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. And the next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. Now you recall that last week we saw that Paul had been going through a series of trials, and the last trial had happened there in Caesarea. And Paul knew he couldn't get justice by going back to Jerusalem, so he had appealed to Caesar, the emperor who was in Rome. And so what we find here is the beginning of Paul's trip as he's being sent to Rome. And the soldier that's overseeing his transfer, we're told, is a centurion named Julius. Now, you recall centurions were commanders of a hundred soldiers, and we're told he's part of a a group of a thousand, the Augustan cohort. Uh, This was the imperial guard. Now, In verses 31 through 42, we're going to see that there are other soldiers that go with Julius. While we're not told the number, I doubt it was the full hundred under his command because that many Romans would have merited a Roman galley. But instead, what we find in our passage is they they book passage on a, a series of commercial ships. Now, as Luke tells us about this group that's going, we see he's a part of it. Remember that Luke is writing the book of Acts. And you'll notice in verse 1 he uses the personal pronoun of we. So Luke is saying, I went with Paul on this journey. Paul was, uh, Luke was a physician, as you'll recall, and so most likely he was given the ability to go as Paul's personal physician. Now we see another man went with Luke and Paul. His name was Aristocardus. And what we find is that he's referred to in Colossians 4.10 as a fellow prisoner. But nowhere during the trials have we seen his name come up. So he wasn't being formally charged, and what most likely happened is he indentured himself as a servant. He said, I want to go and minister to Paul, and I'm willing to give up my freedoms to do so. Now, verse 1 tells us there were also some other prisoners that were being taken to Rome. Now, the Greek word used here means prisoners of another kind. So they're different than Paul. Paul, you'll recall, has not yet been convicted. Paul has been proved innocent in trial after trial. What we're reading here is in all probability these are people who have already been convicted and condemned to die. And they were headed to Rome to die. You'll recall that one of the dark parts of Roman history is that many people were killed in the Colosseum. The Romans, uh, one of their forms of entertainment was to watch people killed in the Colosseum. And so there was a steady stream of victims that would come from the far-flung provinces like we see here Uh, this group that's being transported from Israel, the area around Israel. And so what happens is, as this group is going, imagine being one of those people that are already condemned to die. And as you're in that dark moment knowing we're headed to our death, uh, you see a bright light of hope. Because as they're traveling, God in his mercy has put the Apostle Paul, the great evangelist, on the ship with them, And we know that Paul would have been sharing the message of hope The message of how they could go to heaven through placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, as they're headed to uh, Rome, we see the first leg of the journey takes them to Sidon. And we're told that Paul is permitted to visit the believers there. He receives care, encouragement, probably supplies for the long trip. And this tells us something about the kindness of Julius the centurion. Because the, the Romans were responsible for the prisoners under their care. And if one of them escaped, it would cost the soldier his life. And so it shows that Julius trusted Paul and he was willing to risk letting Paul go out of his immediate control. And he's with these other believers there in Sidon, which also shows us the spread of the gospel at that time. Now, I titled my message, How to Handle the Storms of Life. And one of the ways that we can deal with the difficulties in life is by remembering that we're not alone. God doesn't want us going through life alone. He calls us to surround ourselves with a community, which is what you're doing this morning in church. It's why Hebrews 10.25 tells us not to forsake fellowshipping together as is the habit of some. But it says encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. When we come to church, it's not just to, to, to be equipped and learn what God's word says to us. It's also to be encouraged, to be strengthened. Because when you walk out of the doors of Wayside, many of you are going into workplaces and schools and situations where, where you don't have a lot of support in your faith, and this is a time to recharge and fill up and know that you're not alone. Now, as we look at Paul visiting with these other believers, uh, what we're going to see later is that the, the soldiers wanted to put some of the prisoners to death. Remember I told you that Julius is taking a risk by letting Paul uh, go out of his, his oversight. Later in this passage, we're going to see where as the ship is sinking, the soldiers say, let's kill the prisoners to keep the possibility of escape from happening. But before we get to that part of the story, uh, look at what happens in verses 4 through 5. They get back on their original boat, and it says they sail from Sidon to Myra. And at Myra, they board a ship that's headed to Italy. Now, this ship that's going that direction is a grain ship, as we're going to see. And it's a large ship, because later we're going to read in verse 37 where there are 276 passengers on board this boat. These boats, Egypt was the breadbasket of the world at the time, and they would fill these boats with grain, and they would head across the Mediterranean Sea and and up to Italy. And because travel was difficult, going westerly, they would have to uh, use islands as a windbreak along the way, something we're about to see happening. In verses 7 through 8, Luke tells us, "...when we had sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty..." They had arrived at Nidus, and since the wind did not permit us to go further, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon, and with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Now, as you look at this map, this is the journey that's taken place so far. They began there in Caesarea. They went up to Sidon. When they get to Myra, you see the color changes to show the change of boats. Now, that red arrow up in the top left corner is where Rome is. That's their ultimate destination where they're trying to get to. And you see they're having to hug the land and come around. And as they come around Crete, they stop in this harbor called Fairhaven. But you see that it's already been difficult traveling. The wind has been against them. It's been slow going. And things are about to get worse. As verses 9 through 12 tell us, when a considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since uh, even the feast was already over, Paul began to admonish them. And said, men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly end with damage and great loss, not only to the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than what was being said by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there, and if somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now, it says that Paul admonishes them. That's a strong word. What Paul says in no uncertain terms is, listen, we need to stop here. If we go any further, there's a danger. There's a danger to the cargo, the ship, and even our lives. He says it's wrong to go any further. Now, I wonder if that's ever happened in your life. Has anybody ever stopped you and said, listen, uh, you're on shaky ground. You're going beyond the line that you should. God has said you should stop what you're doing. Uh, He says you should turn around. That word repent literally means to realize we're going in the wrong direction. It means we have a change of mind that leads to a change of action. It means we stop, we turn around, and we go back in the other direction. So if we're walking away from God into some sin, repentance is where we we realize we're going in the wrong way, and we turn around and we come to God. Either the first time as we come to faith or as a believer who's been uh, walking away from God, we, we turn our back on our sin and come back to God. Now, when those times happen, do you listen? Or do you do what you want? See, Proverbs twelve fifteen tells us, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Now, God's given us a free will. When people admonish us, when people tell us what the word of God says, when we see it ourselves, we still have a choice. We can choose to keep going the wrong way. The Bible calls that the broad road that leads to destruction. And many times we choose in our own disobedience to do that. And we see here that that's essentially what happens. Paul says, listen, we need to stop. There's a line here. We can't cross it. We don't need to go on. But as as he says that, what happens is people in our passage do what many of us do in our own life, and we kind of justify it. We say, well, you know, listen, I know we should stop. I know there's this line. I know God says don't, but I just want to go just a little bit farther. It's not like I'm going to try to go all the way to Rome. You see, as you look at this map where that yellow arrow is, remember they're at Fairhaven. And what they say now is we just want to get to the port of Phoenix, See, P- Phoenix is just 40 more miles up the road. It's not like we're trying to go all the way up there to Rome. Come on, Paul. We just, we just want to go a little bit further. Have you ever done that? Somebody says, look, you need to stop. You're going the right. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I'm just, just a little bit further. It's not like I'm trying to go all the way. You know, I'm just going to, just a little bit. Have you ever done that? You know what you find with sin is that it will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It'll cost you more than you ever wanted to pay, and it'll keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And as we look at this group here, they say, we're just going to go a little bit further up the coast. But do you see where that red arrow is? I mean, that red X? That's where they end up. That's the island of Malta. That's where they're going to end up in chapter 28, verse 1, when it says they they finally come ashore. That's 500 miles off course. They said, look, we're just going to go a little bit over the line. It's not a big deal. And that's often what happens with us in our sin. We say, God, we know better. It's not a big deal. And we end up blown far off course. Now, when they go, it tells us in verse 9 that it was past the time of the fast. The fast here was the Day of Atonement. And this tells us on a calendar that they were, they were at the earliest, at the end of September, into late October, since it was past. They're into October at this point, which is the beginning of the winter travel season. And that's when travel goes from being difficult to dangerous. Paul has already said, listen, if we go any farther, it's not going to end well. He says, I perceive this. Now, it's not that God gave him a vision. The word perceive that is used here means to know by experience. And so what Paul's saying is God didn't give me a vision, but he's given me life experience. As you think about Paul, as we've walked with Paul through the book of Acts, has he traveled any during this book? As you read through Acts, as you read through the New Testament, one scholar figured out that Paul traveled over 3,500 miles by sea. And as you read in 2 Corinthians 11.25, Paul says, I was shipwrecked three times. I and mean, Here's a guy who's not a professional sailor, but he says, I think I know something about seafaring travel. And he says, anybody with common sense can look around and see, it's already been hard to get here. We, we barely made it. Common sense says, don't go on. I wonder if any of us have ever had somebody say to us, you know, listen, um, I think I know a little bit more about this than you. I know as a dad, sometimes I say to my kids, you know, I think I've lived a little longer than you, and maybe I know something a little more than you. Could you grant, you know, dad a little bit of uh, grace and understand that maybe I know something of what I'm saying? Have you ever had your parents say that to you? Be careful as you get older, you'll say those same words as well. And so Paul is a guy, he's not a professional sailor, but he's able to say, listen, God has given me some life experience and I know what I'm talking about. Now, that doesn't mean that the the captain and the pilot, the navigator here, don't know what they're talking about either. The centurion is right to say, you guys are the professional sailors. What do you think? But as he gets their advice, as they say, listen, we, we should go a little bit further on. The centurion should have weighed their advice with maybe what their ulterior motives were. Remember, they've got a boat loaded with grain. You don't want grain to spoil. You don't want rats and rodents and other things to eat the cargo. That's a loss of some of your profit. And so this guy has a motive to get on to the place where he can offload cargo and get paid. You know, once he gets to, to Phoenix, he's probably going to say, see, that was pretty easy. Let's, let's go on to Rome. And at the very least, he admits, listen, uh, I like my comfort. And it's going to be a lot nicer if we spend the winter there in Phoenix rather than here in an open harbor where the wind is going to be uh, colder and harder on us. And since most people like their comfort, it's no surprise when we read in verses 11 and 12 where it says the majority decided it was best to try to sail on to the port of Phoenix. You know, if you find yourselves in those times where you're facing peer pressure, Or you have somebody who says, hey, the consensus of the crowd, the majority uh, is against you and majority rules. In those times where you, you find yourself feeling that pressure to do what the crowd wants to do, I want to remind you that what is right is not always popular. And what's popular is not always right. Just because the crowd says this is what we should do, it doesn't mean it's the right decision. You can read in Numbers chapter 13, and there you'll see where where Moses sent 12 spies into the land. Remember, God said, I've given you the land, go and take it. And Moses sent some spies, and, and the instructions were, bring back some of the produce. Not decide whether we can get in or not, but as they came back, 10 of the 12 said, we can't do this. The people are giants, and things are difficult, and it says the people lost heart. Ten, the majority, said, we can't do it. But two of them said, listen, God said the land is ours. Let's go get it. But the majority overrode, and you know what happened in the story. The narrative tells us that the people went against God, and ultimately people were killed, and they wandered in the wilderness, and all of them except for the two who said God said the land is ours ended up dying off them and all of their families. So... In those times where you're feeling outnumbered in a decision, I want you to remember that one plus God equals a majority every time. One plus God is a majority every time, so go with what God says, not with what your group of friends or others are telling you. Now, another thing that can cause us to make bad decisions is, is, is when we become impatient. Because when we become impatient, we become impulsive. Have you ever found that in your life? You, you want to do something, and so you're looking for that first crack in the door, that first window of opportunity, we call it. And we jump on it. And that's what we see happening here in verses 13 through 15. It says, when a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close and in but before very long, they're rushed down from, from the land, a violent wind called a Euracaquio. Now, this is a hybrid Latin and Greek word that literally is translated a northeaster. We talk about these violent northeasters, uh, these winter storms. Well, here is this, this wind. It says it comes down, and when the ship was caught in it, it could not face the wind, and we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. So this gentle wind suddenly becomes a typhoon. They, they, they're hugging the shore. They think we're good. We're just going to you know bounce along. And the next thing they know is they find themselves, remember, pushed out to sea. We saw 500 miles ultimately off course. Now, there are times in our lives that we will face storms that we have no control over. I mean, remember, Paul has already said, listen, this is a bad idea. We don't need to get any further in our journey, but he was a prisoner. He had no say in it. So he's stuck on the boat because of others' bad decisions. And he ends up being carried away by the storm with everybody else. That happens to us sometimes. But there are so many storms, if we're honest, we could avoid in our lives if we would just choose the right decisions if we would weigh the consequences against our actions in advance, if we would say, I'm, I'm going to listen not to the crowd, but to what somebody who knows what God is telling us, and I'm going to listen to that. You have the Bible. If you don't have a godly uh, person in your life who can give you counsel, uh, you have the word of God and you can see what he says. And many of the storms that we find ourselves in are uh, a direct result of our bad choices, our own disobedience. You know, We say, you know, it's just a little thing. But what the Bible tells us is God doesn't have little sins and big sins. Sin is sin. And it all has the same consequence, the penalty of death that will ultimately separate us from God. And as they find themselves in this storm, we're told that they lose control of the ship. They're being driven out to sea. Look at verses 16 through 20 because we see their desperation. It says, running under the shelter of a small island called Clotta, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. This, this is talking about the dinghy. Uh, the, the boat they're towing behind. And what it says is this thing is getting swamped and it's smashing against the boat and it's going to sink. So they haul, the, they haul it on board, it says. They hoisted it up. And they use supporting cables and undergirding the ship. The ship is groaning and breaking apart. The mast is cracking. The, the spine of the ship, the boards are pulling loose. So they start tying this boat together to try to keep it from sinking. It says, In fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Syrtis, they let down the sea anchor. And in this way they let themselves be driven along. Now the next day it says they were being violently storm-tossed and they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. These are the riggings and, and most of the sails and everything. They're trying to lighten the ship to get it, because it's sinking. It's taking on water. It says, since neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days and no small storm was, was assailing us, from then on all hope of being saved was gradually abandoned. They, they would navigate by the sun and the stars and it says it's pitch black. They don't know where they are. The boat is sinking. They've, they've thrown everything overboard. They've done all they can. And it says now they sit there sinking in despair. Verse 21 tells us when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and he said, men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. And we're reading that going, really, Paul? (laughs) How petty. Everybody's about to die, and, and you want to tell everybody you were right? Now, there's a reason Paul does that. What he's doing is he's setting them up for what he's about to say. He says, listen, you didn't listen to me last time. Are you ready to listen? Because I have something else that God wants you to hear. He says in verses 22 through 24, yet now I urge you to keep up your courage. For there will be no loss of life among you, only of the ship. for this very night, an angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I serve, stood before me saying, "Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted to you all those who are sailing with you." Now do you know what this is telling us? This says Paul's been praying. There's this storm going on, and the sailors and people are doing everything they humanly can to try to save the ship. And Paul has been doing what he needs to do, which is to go to the Lord in prayer. And as he's praying, we kind of get an idea of what he's been saying. It sounds like he was saying, you know, God, you told me I was going to Rome to preach, but it looks like I'm going to perish here at sea. I'm not really sure that I understand what's going on. So God sends this angel to say, Paul, Paul, listen, nothing's changed. My purpose is for you still to go to Rome. You're going to preach there. Nothing's changed. My promises are still in place. You know, one of the principles that we need to remember is that what God has revealed to us in the light, we should never doubt in the darkness. What God has revealed in the light, we shouldn't doubt in the darkness. Paul was told by God, I have a plan for you. And you're going to go and you're going to preach the gospel in Rome. You're going to stand before uh, the emperor. You're going to share the good news. And he says, Paul, none of that has changed. You know, the Bible tells us that, that God is not like a man. He's not fickle. He doesn't change. If God says he's going to do it, you can take it to the bank. And that's what Paul's being told. When the storms are raging, when the darkness has set in, when you're feeling lost and all alone, I want you to remember what Hebrews tells us. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 says, For he himself, this is God, for God has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? That's God's promise. It's God's promise to Paul. It's God's promise to us today. Another thing we see in Paul's prayer is that he's been praying not just for himself but for everybody else on the boat because the angel says, listen, Paul, God has granted to you all those who are sailing with you. Paul, God's going to answer your prayer. You know, God could have taken Paul off that ship and put him in Rome. He could have rescued Paul anyway. But what Paul said is, God, in your mercy and grace, would you bring everybody else with me through this storm? And this is why Paul can say to everyone in verse 25, Therefore, keep your courage, men, for I believe, that, I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. Now, as Paul gives this message of hope, remember, they're in the midst of a storm. The last time marker we had was day four. I want you to notice what day we're on now. They've, they've been given this promise. And look at what it says in verse 25. I'm sorry, in, in uh, verse 27, but when the 14th night came, 14, as we were being driven along about the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, sailors began to surmise that we were approaching some land. Do you see what's happening? They're in the midst of this storm. It's raging. And God says, hey, I'm going I'm to rescue you from the storm. And the way we would like to read the passage, the way we would like it to look in our lives is what we see when Jesus was in the boat with the disciples and they were being tossed around in this storm. And it says they were afraid and they woke Jesus up and they said, Lord, don't you care? We're perishing. Do you remember what Jesus did? He stood up and it said, be still. And it said, the wind and the waves stop. And the disciples, who one moment were bailing water and screaming and fearing for their life, said, Who is this that the wind and the waves listen? And as we're reading this, as Paul says, Hey, listen, God said he's going to deliver us. We would like to read in the next verse, Be still, and the storm stopped. But instead, what happens? The storm keeps raging. Raging. The wind is howling. The waves are bashing against the ship. The water's coming over the bow. People are hurling over the side. They're just sitting here going, what is happening? You said God was going to save us. And what's happening, brothers and sisters in Christ, is there are times that God says to us, I'm going to take you through the storm, and I'm going to walk with you through the storm. As you read Psalm 23, it says, the Lord walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say we're all delivered from death. It says that he takes us through the storm. Have you ever read the book of Daniel? Do you remember that there are some guys in the book of Daniel? One's named Daniel, the guy who the Lord used to write it. And there were three other young Hebrew men there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were their Babylonian names that were given to them by King Nebuchadnezzar. And in Daniel chapter 3, there's a place where King Nebuchadnezzar's built this massive idol, and he's gathered all the officials, and he's put everybody out there, and he said, listen, I'm going to play this song, and everybody's going to bow down and worship the idol. uh, Hit it. And, you know, everybody bows down except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And some of the Babylonian officials who are jealous of these Hebrew guys and the way they're advancing go to the king and say, "Uh, King, there's this uh, three guys who didn't bow down to your idol. Nebuchadnezzar brings these boys in front of him, and he says, I guess you guys miss the, the, the song, because I'm going to go ahead and have them play it again, and it's your time to bow down. And they said, oh, king, you don't need to do that, because we're not bowing down to your idol. And the king, it says, gets furious. He says, you're not going to bow down? Well, I've got this fire over here, and it says he heats the furnace multiple times. And he says, I'm going to throw you boys in there, and you're going to burn up. And and these three young Hebrews say, you know, king, we're still not going to bow down. And you know what? God may not even save us from the fire, but whatever it is, he's able to. We know he can, but whether he does or not doesn't matter. We're still going to obey the Lord instead of you. This really sets off old good King Nebuchadnezzar. You remember he has them tied up the guards are carrying the boys to throw them in the furnace it says it's so hot the flames come out and consume and kill the guards as they throw the boys in so these guys the soldiers are struck dead the boys fall in and we would imagine that they're suddenly consumed and burned up but that's not what happens as you as you read in daniel three twenty five, it says king nebuchadnezzar stands up and he says look I see four men loosed and walking around in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like a sun, is like a son of the gods. He either sees an angel or, or a theanthropic Christ showing up. Yeah, you say it. So Christ shows up. <laughs> it's a theophany, an appearance of God, and he says. God went with them through the fire. And you remember the story goes on. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar says, "Uh, Guys, would you come on out of the fire? I want to talk to you. And it says three of them come out, and the only thing burned up was the ropes around them. And they they don't even smell like smoke. God went through the fire with them. And brothers and sisters, that's what God does with us sometimes. Yes, sometimes he stills the storm. But there are other times he says, I'm taking you through the storm because I have a purpose. And I'm not done refining you. And I'm not done, but I've I've promised I'll never leave you or forsake you. And I'm going to walk with you through this. And I'm going to take you through it. And this is what happens here. Paul says, look, the the Lord is going to save everybody. But God takes them through the storm. Paul says, there's going to be a loss of the ship. The ship's got to sink. All the stuff in it's going to be lost. But nobody here is going to lose their life. I want to remind you, they've already been throwing the cargo overboard. That's payday. That's, that's what they're getting paid for. They've thrown over all the, the tackle, the riggings, all the things that the ship, that's, that's costly stuff. They've been clearing the deck in the hope of keeping the boat afloat. And, you know, sometimes God takes us through a storm for that reason as well. There are times what God says to us is, I need to have you clear the decks. Your, your life or your calendar has gotten so full of stuff That is not important, I've got to take you through something that is going to make you see what is important. I'll tell you, there are times in my life that the decks of my life get cluttered or my calendar gets full of stuff that really isn't that important. And then something comes along where I suddenly say, the decks are cleared. The calendar is cleared. This is an immediate need or something that is most important. And I'm going to deal with this. And that's what God does with us. It's what God does here. They clear the decks of their life. You know, the Bible tells us that there is a day coming where everything on this earth will be destroyed by fire, except for two things. The two things that will last for all eternity from our world are people, their eternal souls, people, and the word of God. So if you're going through life and you're saying, what is most important? If you're having to to focus and prioritize, those are the two things, friends, people and the word of God that are most important. And here what Paul is told is everything is going to be lost except for the lives of people who are with you on the boat. So verse 27 says, But the fourteenth night came, and as they were driven about in the Adriatic Sea about midnight, they began to surmise that they were approaching some land. Now remember, it's pitch black. They can't see. And the way they know this is they've been hearing for two straight weeks the wind howling, the waves busting against the boat, but suddenly these professional sailors say, You hear that? And people are going, what? And they go, listen. And what they're hearing is the waves. Not the ones that are slapping against the side of the boat, but they're hearing the backwash of waves as they're hitting the rock and the shore. You've heard those, that, that sound that the waves make. And they say, I think we're getting close to land. And so it says they start taking soundings. They lower a rope with a weighted end, and they, they say, yeah, it's dragging bottom here. They do it a little while later. They say it's, it's, there's less rope going out. We're getting shallower and shallower. And we're told that as they're taking these soundings, in verse 28, it says in verse 29, fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast out four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. They said, we've got to stop the boat. We're going inland and we can't see. Now, an anchor is only as good, uh, an anchor does no good if there's nothing for it to hang on to. I don't know if you've ever been out in a boat and you're drifting and you throw an anchor and you keep, ah, didn't catch anything, didn't catch anything. You know, it's only good if it, if it has something firm to dig into. And in those times where we're facing a storm, what God tells us is we have to have a firm foundation. And we find what that firm foundation is in Matthew chapter 7, because there Jesus says in Matthew seven twenty four and following, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Now it goes on to contrast it, and it says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. You see, in the midst of the storm, Paul could could stand firm because he said, I'm on the rock. I know what God has said. I know God can be trusted. And so Paul says, I'm at peace. I'm at peace in the midst of the storm. Now, contrast Paul with the sailors because the sailors were not trusting in the Lord. They were trusting in themselves. So they said, we have to save ourselves. And we see what they try to do in verse 30. It says the sailors were trying to escape from the ship, and it let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow. So these sailors, remember they've hauled this dinghy on board, they say, you know, we're coming into the rocks, and we've, we've got to get off the boat. And so they say to the passengers and the soldiers, hey, we've, we've dropped four anchors. We're going to go out, and we're going to put some more ropes and anchors off the front of the boat. And as they're lowering the boat over the side intending to abandon ship, uh, Paul says to the soldiers, the centurion soldiers, hey, these guys aren't uh, going to put an anchor out. They're abandoning ship. And God has said that if everybody's not on the boat, then you yourselves aren't going to be saved. You know how the soldiers react? It says they whip out their swords and they they cut the ropes, and the boat falls into the water and goes away. Now imagine the scene. You got the sailors going, uh, uh, "That that was our lifeboat," and and they're angry. They turn to the soldiers, but the soldiers are holding swords and they're going, "Yeah, what?" And they go, "It's okay." So you have this glaring standoff of the soldiers and the sailors, and and then you have all the passengers sitting around going. You guys are going to kill each other and we're all dying. And, and this is the scene. And it tells us Paul stands up in the midst of it. You know, before we see what Paul says, you know what storms do? They have a way of revealing character, don't they? When the pressure is on and when things are hard, oftentimes you see what's really inside of somebody, right? And we've seen what the sailors are trusting in themselves. And we've seen their character, they're selfish. Contrast that with Paul. Paul is a guy who said, look, I know God is going to take care of me. He could have been selfish and said, I'm okay. You know, the rest of you, good luck. But we've been told he's been praying all along. God, would would you grant these other people their lives? We've seen how Paul's been standing up and encouraging them. We've seen how Paul's caring for the people. And that continues in verses 33 through 38. It says until the day was about to dawn Paul was encouraging them all to take some food saying today is the 14th day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating having taken nothing therefore I encourage you to take some food this is for your preservation for not not a hair from your head of any of you will perish having said this he took bread he gave thanks to God in the presence of all and he broke it and began to eat all of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. All of us in this ship were 276 persons. Here we see Paul's personal example. We see Paul's a man of prayer. He says, I've been praying. This is what God has said. I trust in God. This is what you can do. Listen, let, let's eat. God said it's going to happen. We're okay. You're going to need your strength as we, we go ashore. And through prayer and personal example, Paul encouraged everybody. They see him doing it, and they follow his example. And it says they all felt better. And this is a reminder to us in our own lives. Whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever place you are in, you as an individual person can change the whole atmosphere of of your workplace, your school, your home, through your personal example and through prayer. People are watching you. They want to see how you're going through a storm. They say to you, Why can you be so peaceful and calm when you've heard that you've got cancer, or when this thing is going on with your kids, or when you've just lost your job, or when something bad is going on in school, and you're able to say, Listen, I may lose the cargo, I may lose the ship, but what can man do to me? I know the Lord. And as the day begins to dawn, they finally make out land. Verses 40 through 41 tell us, And casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea. While at the same time they were hoisting, uh, they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and, and hoisting the foresail into the wind, and they were headed for the beach. They see land and they say, Full speed ahead. But striking a reef where the two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. Now as you look, I told you earlier that soldiers are responsible for the prisoners. And in verse 42, they say, let's kill the prisoners. Because as we go into the water, one of these or some of these guys are going to escape. And, and it's, we may make it to shore, but it's going to cost us our lives. Now, because Paul is also a prisoner, look at what verses 43 and 44 tell us. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest should follow, some on planks and others on various things from the ship. And so it happened that they were all brought safely to land. You know, as we end today... I wonder where you find yourselves. Are some of you in a storm right now? Are some of you feeling like you're in over your head and the waves are washing over you and things are breaking apart all around you and and you're saying, Roger, I don't know know how this is going to end. You know, you may feel overwhelmed right now. You may look like you're going to lose the cargo. You may even lose the ship. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I can tell you how it's going to end. You're going to be okay. God has promised He's going to take you safely through the storm. You're going to make it. Now, you may be sitting here saying, Whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute, Roger. Did you just promise that my loved one who has a terminal illness is going to be healed? Did you just promise that I'm going to be uh, rich and famous and all these things I want? No, I didn't say any of that. What I said to you is, God has made a promise to us who know Jesus Christ, who are standing on the firm foundation of our faith, that when it's all over in this world, we're okay. We're better than okay. We're in his presence. We're a part of his family. We'll be with him for all eternity. I don't know the details of every storm that some of you are facing here. I know the details of some of your lives, and they're they're very difficult. And the waves are crashing over you and the boat is breaking apart and you've lost the cargo and you're fearing everything, including the loss of your earthly life. Last Sunday when the service was over, a a young man in our church came up and said, "Uh, Roger, my dad's in the hospital. His dad is a member of our church and he's been a long time part of Wayside. And he said, "My, my dad has cancer. And I prayed with this man and and we asked God to be gracious and heal his father and like good King Hezekiah to extend his days. But then I went to see this man in the hospital. As soon as I finished up here at church, I headed over to the hospital, and as I walked into the room, uh, there was this man. His wife was in the room. And as I sat down, we started out with a little small talk, and finally the man said to me, Roger, I've, I've just gotten a, a pretty bad diagnosis. I have advanced cancer. It's all throughout my abdomen. The doctors say there's really nothing that they know how to do about it. I'm going to have exploratory surgery this week to see if anything can be done. But he said, he said I think my days are, are very short. That's a storm, friends. That's, the cargo has gone overboard. The ship looks like it's going to be lost. And in that darkest moment, there was still hope. There was still light. Because not only did we talk about the fact God is a miracle God, and as I said already, King Hezekiah was told, your life's over, but God extended his days, and I pray for people to be healed. If God heals them, it's not because of me, it's because of his mercy and grace. He heals people if he chooses. But as we talked about the reality that, yes, maybe your life, your days here on earth are coming to an end, we were able to talk about the truth of the hope of heaven that we have, that God promised this man he's going to take him through the storm. Remember, Psalm 23 says, Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And we talked about how God will bring this man through what we know as death. It's not the end of our life as believers. It's the beginning of our new life, eternity with Christ. And in the darkest part of the storm, when there was, we couldn't see the, the sun or the stars, when the waves were battering as this man was suffering through this, we were able to talk about the truth, the promise, the hope of heaven that we have. And that's what I'm promising you today. If you're somebody who is founded on the rock, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, I can promise you that when your life on this earth is over, when the stuff that doesn't matter, when the cargo and the ship, our earthly containers are gone, what matters most will be with God for all eternity. And as we talk about the promises of God, I want you to hear, brothers and sisters, it's not just for eternity, it's for today. Remember, as we've walked through this passage, we've seen where Paul has been given anchors to help him steady the ship in the storm. Believers who are around him in Sidon that encouraged him. People on the boat like Luke and his traveling companion Aristarchus, who's with him. And these guys are there to support Paul. God's presence has been evident as he's reminded him of his promises through an angel. And as you're going through a storm today, God is with you. He's promised I will never leave you or forsake you. And he's given us anchors to steady ourselves in the midst of the storm to know it's going to be okay. And one of the anchors he's given us is prayer. And so as we close today, I want to go to the Lord in prayer, and I want you to think about what you may be facing in your life this morning. I want you to give that to the Lord, and then I'll close our time in prayer. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Lord God, you know the needs that are here this morning. You know the storms that your people are facing hardship, broken relationships, terminal illness, fear of failure. The list can be endless, but Father, we know that in the midst of all of this, you haven't promised to still every storm. You haven't promised us that we'll have an easy life as believers. In fact, what you said to us, Jesus, in John sixteen thirty three, is these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Jesus, we thank you for that promise, that truth that you've conquered sin and death. And because we can trust you for all eternity, then we can trust you for the things we're facing today and tomorrow and the next day. As we think of Paul and the suffering he faced, he, he said in 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have believed in, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. God, we know that Paul was speaking ultimately of his eternal life in you, but he also knew he could have peace in the midst of the storm. And you offer that to us today through your son. So I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today who does not have their faith on the rock, that does not have you, Jesus, as our Savior, that today they would turn to you. And for the rest of us, Lord, who know you as our Savior, may we walk with you. May we hold on to you. May we not doubt in the darkness the things you've promised in the light. We thank you, God, for your love for us and your presence in our life and how you take us through the storms if you won't still. Thank you, Lord, for loving us and being good to us. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ.